0: It's great to be with you on this holiday weekend. We're in week three of our message series for the summer called Presence, And I just want to extend a special welcome to you if you're new or relatively new around here. Maybe you're just joining family for the weekend or joining them online. And if you are here on our campus, we invite you to our Welcome Center. We have a gift for you that you can pick up before you leave today. So visit the Welcome Center before you go. And I also wanna point out our next gen registration is open for this fall. So if your kids and students wanna take part in our small group-based programs, that's Quest for Elementary, Resurrection for Upright, or excuse me, Resurrection for Middle School, Uprising for High School, Um, they can take part in any of those and register for them right now. It's also the first step in any sacraments this year. So if your kids want to receive First Communion, First Reconciliation, or Confirmation, just go to churchnativity.com nextgen. You can find out lots more and get registered. So uh, with those announcements out of the way, I'll jump into our message. Uh, you might have heard a couple of weeks ago that I got engaged. So this is my fiance Sarah and I. Thanks. So uh, it's really one of the most exciting times of life. You meet somebody that you love and you ask them if they want to spend your lives together. And I really was looking forward to the engagement. Um, I, you know, Simple engagements can be beautiful, but I really was going for something big and surprising. So um, I spent most of the spring hatching a plan for how to surprise Sarah. I got her siblings and some of her best friends involved and tried to design a ring that she would really love and I made a whole plan for the morning of the engagement day to send her all around the neighborhood, trucking around to some of her favorite places. So I went to those places ahead of time and arranged for things, so she just had to go and pick them up. And she started the morning by getting coffee, and then she went and got her nails done with a friend. Uh, she picked up flowers, and then she got some fruit from the, the corner market and sent, got back up to her apartment. There was a note to head to the roof, and I was waiting for her on the roof, on one knee and proposed, and she said yes. So. <laughs> so after the adrenaline had subsided just a little bit from all of that, we sat down to a breakfast um, that I had prepared because we love to cook and share good food together. And we kind of recounted what the whole morning was like And what I really loved most was hearing her delight at all of the surprises that she had had along the way. And we both agreed that the best and the worst part of the whole experience was the anticipation for both of us. So um, I understand not everyone is in a love bubble and fresh off of a proposal, but... Hopefully you can relate to the idea that we love to surprise our loved ones now and then, whether it's with flowers or a day away or or whatever it might be. There's great delight in surprising the people that we love, our spouses, kids, family, friends, and our human desire to surprise and delight people, um, that comes from God. And I just wonder if God's ever surprised you and how God surprises us. It's strange to think about that when we talk in the context of church because being here each week, surprise may not be the word that comes to mind. Consistency, faithfulness, sure, but surprise, maybe not quite as much because mass is one of the most predictable things that we do, right? It's full of repetition and ritual, but that doesn't mean that God can't surprise you. There's something that is ever-ancient, and ever knew about what we do here. And so today I wanna just convince you that God actually does. He wants to surprise you and to delight you. And one of the ways that he does that is through the Eucharist. So after today, we're gonna be halfway through this message series on the Eucharist. And I don't know if this has been pointed out a lot, but we're looking at six different perspectives. So six people and their experience of the Eucharist in Scripture. So week one, we talked about Abram and he encounters this mysterious priest, uh, King Melchizedek. And from that, we surmised this formula for the Eucharist. Bread plus wine plus prayers plus presence equals Eucharist. And then in week two, we dropped into the shoes of the Apostle John as Jesus preached to the crowd. And he said that his flesh is the bread from heaven. And as he says, this is my body, he's really asking us, do you trust me? So this week, week three, I'm gonna ask you to take on another role. You're gonna become the unnamed disciple, the unnamed disciple this week. And since this person is unnamed, you can just plug yourself into the story. So imagine that it is the evening after the original Easter Sunday. And in the last couple of days, you have witnessed the suffering and death of this man, Jesus, that you followed. And hope seemed lost just hours ago. But then this morning, all of these people saw the resurrected. Jesus and you heard that he is alive and you can't quite believe it, but if he is the, ma- the Messiah, if he really is, then it would make sense, right? I mean, if you're gonna trust anyone, trust the guy that predicted that he would rise from the grave and then did it. So that's what's on your mind as we begin this story today in the 24th and final chapter of Luke's Gospel. Now that very day, two of them were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. So as this journey starts, you're with this other person whose name we'll find out in a second is Cleopas. And you're talking excitedly, but you also have a little bit of fear and trepidation because you know what just happened to Jesus and know that your lives may not necessarily be safe. And so you proceed with a little bit of caution as you walk along. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So this third person comes up. You don't recognize him, but he doesn't seem to be much of a threat, and so you decide it's okay if he walks along with you. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looking downcast. One of them named Cleopas said to him in reply, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, what sort of things? And so as he replies to them, you know, this fellow, he seems genuinely interested, but he seems completely oblivious to everything that's happened. And as strange and confusing as the last few days have, have been, it's sort of helpful for you to sort through the emotions by by talking about it. And so you start, oh my gosh, you haven't heard, get this. And you proceed to tell him the entire story. Uh, that Jesus was a great prophet, that he was handed over by religious leaders to be crucified. You don't mention he may have been the Messiah out of caution, but you do say you, you know, that many had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. And then this morning, even more amazing, is that all of these people claim to have seen Jesus risen from the dead outside of the tomb. And it wasn't you, but it was people that you trust. And that's when he interjects into the story. And he said to them, oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. So what this man says opens your eyes to what the scriptures really say. That all the prophecies, the entire salvation story, everything that God has done, all that points to this man, Jesus. And you're, you're educated in your religion. You've always known the stories, but this man tells them in such a revolutionary new way. You've never heard before. It's like looking at something for the first time because he's such an incredible teacher and storyteller. And you could listen to him all day, but eventually you arrive at your destination. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther, but they urged him, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So he waits for an invitation. He doesn't assume that he'll be invited in. And lucky for you, he's willing to stick around. It's been a while since you've had a conversation this meaningful and he really made you think. You may have even laughed or cried along the way. You find yourself drawn in by everything that he says. And so you set your stuff down and you clean up a bit and then three of you sit down to dinner at the table. And it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. And with that, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. So it starts as this typical meal. You sit down after a long day's journey. This mysterious man breaks and blesses the bread, and it's then your mouth drops Because you recognize this is Jesus. And as soon as you realize it's him, he vanishes from your sight. How could you have missed it that it was the Lord all along? It was, uh, you just recount the moments through the day and him coming alongside of you and telling, you, telling him the story about his own death, which feels so silly now. And then the way he broke down scripture and how he captivated you with his storytelling and inviting him inside and sitting down to the meal and the blessing and the bread and the vanishing. And can we just take a moment that, to acknowledge that Jesus just vanished in front of your eyes and all of it leaves you asking, what just happened? What just happened? Well, Jesus surprised you in the most unexpected and best way. He surprised you. He kind of strung you along in in some way, or maybe a better way of putting it is he led you here to this moment because Jesus was intent on surprising you because he loves you. But what is the surprise exactly? This is the sort of surprise that's not really simple. It's gonna take many years to unpack and to understand. So let's call it a three-part surprise. First part of the surprise. It's supernatural bread. So as you sat down to this meal, you thought it was just gonna be a normal one until Jesus flips it on its head and he does supernaturally what our bodies do naturally. Yeah, our bodies do this regularly all the time. When we eat bread or other food, it breaks it down. It turns it into energy. It turns it into flesh and blood. But what Jesus does is supernatural. He turns the bread and the wine into his flesh and blood outside of his body. And in the Emmaus meal, he shows us that he's as present in the breaking of the bread as he is sitting around us at the table. Second surprise, the disappearing act. So why does he vanish from our sight? That feels like it's a magic trick or something. We made the request to Jesus stay with us, but then Jesus disappears. And when he does, he redirects our vision to the way he is going to be with us from now on, which is in the Eucharist. And in this way, he can be with us always and with all people always to the end of time. In all places, whether it's Emmaus, Jerusalem, Galilee, Rome, France, or Timonium. Third surprise is the connection to manna. So this one is going to take much longer to unpack for people to put together. But Jesus has alluded to it all along. God gave the Israelites this bread from heaven way back in the book of Exodus. And this bread was supernatural bread too. It came from heaven, right? But But as great as that miracle was, this new manna is going to be even greater. It wouldn't make sense that the new manna would be lesser compared to the old manna. And so this new manna is not bound by time or space. Jesus appears when, where, and under the form that he wills. And indeed, when we receive the Eucharist, when we consume it, we're not consuming flesh like we do of an animal, This is different. It looks different. It is different. We're consuming the living flesh of the resurrected Jesus because he's been raised to life by the power of the Spirit. And so this is the essence of the surprise, the supernatural bread, the appearance of the Eucharist, the connection to manna. And if that's the surprise, then what does it all mean? Because surprises are best if they have a purpose. And so to our ears and eyes, the story of Emmaus is very familiar. It comes up at church quite often. And so you might think the surprise would be ruined by us hearing this story so many times over the years, but sometimes you can be surprised by hearing something familiar with a fresh perspective, ever ancient, ever new. So imagine what it was like, again, not just to hear about Emmaus, but to be there, to experience that, to have Jesus surprise you by redrawing the scriptures in a captivating way. To have Jesus surprise you by saying yes to your invitation to come inside. To have Jesus surprise you by blessing the bread and leaving it as a memorial of himself. And what happened was this shocking surprise that Cleopas and us, the unnamed disciple, would think about for years. And they must have relived this experience countless times while it, trying to unpack its meaning. But in the immediate aftermath of this moment, this is their reaction. Then they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? Surprise delights us. It it reminds us of who we love and why we love them. And that's what these two disciples feel in this moment. Their hearts are burning. They're on fire for Jesus because he opens their eyes and they're reminded of who they love and why they love him. A burning heart is also an open heart. And this whole encounter might never have happened if the disciples had not been open to it. They could have just told Jesus to go walk by himself, Or they could have told him to be quiet when he opened the scriptures to them. Or they could have let him keep walking when they stopped in Emmaus. They could have skipped supper. Had they done any of those things, this experience would not have happened, but they said yes to each of those moments. So what I wanna finish with is to give you the opportunity for your own Emmaus. And there is something a little bit funny about what's gonna happen here. I'm gonna tell you how to plan to be surprised. So it's a little bit of a funny notion, but it goes beyond just working on your surprise face. Um, We're gonna see if we can just kinda lay the runway for God to be able to delight and surprise you in your life going forward. So what I did is I spotted three ways the disciples made Emmaus possible that we can also replicate in our experience at church and in mass each week. So the first way that we can lay that runway is to be present, to simply show up. Cleopas and the unnamed disciple were there. They were on the roadside for Jesus to be able to encounter them, and then you could say this step then is the easiest, just showing up, right? But it does, it takes effort to prioritize church in your life to show up each weekend. And, and there is showing up physically, but then there's also showing up by offering your best self, by being ready to listen and to respond and to receive. And there's a lot happening in your life. There always is, there always will be. And so what this is, is a divine appointment in the midst of all of that, that God wants to meet you here. So be present so that he can work. Second, be curious, be interested, be malleable to what God has to say. Cleopas and this unnamed disciple, they recounted to Jesus everything that had happened, but Jesus recast it for them in a way that really changed their understanding completely. And just because we've heard the same stories, the same prayers throughout our lives in mass does not mean that they can't say something New to us, that there isn't something new for us to learn. Curiosity is allowing the possibility that there always is something new for us to hear, see, experience, think about. God is far more interesting and unpredictable than we give him credit for. And if we're curious, God will unfold new layers of truth for us regularly. And third is to be receptive. So this final step is to just take a posture of receptivity. As Cleopas and the unnamed disciple increasingly find themselves receiving, Jesus offers his teaching. He comes inside at their invitation. He blesses the bread. He gives his presence to them. And so we can take that posture as well to receive. When we receive the Eucharist, we either put our hands out or we offer our tongue for the minister to place the host. We don't we don't take the host like we would take a piece of bread from the basket at dinner, right? We receive it because it is a gift. It's supernatural food that sustains us. And so our whole posture can be one of receptivity, the way that we listen, the way that we go up to receive. The Eucharist can be one of the most predictable and reliable moments in our week, but just because it's familiar doesn't mean it can't be surprising. So Cleopas and this unnamed disciple, they were on this familiar path, like we are many weeks at mass. They were on a familiar path to Emmaus. There was a walk they'd taken so many times before. This time though, it turned into a life-changing encounter with Jesus because they were present, they were curious, and they were receptive. Simple steps that laid the runway to them being surprised. So Jesus had their attention. That was the key when we look at the Eucharist, when we receive the body of Jesus into our own body, when we're here each week, it can be easy to let our thoughts drift. Even if the music is moving, even if the lights point to the action happening on the altar and the bells ring to catch our attention, we can be easily distracted. But what I hope is that we find moments to break through those distractions, that we can be surprised by God again. As much fun as it was to surprise Sarah on our engagement day, I wanna think of new ways to surprise her in the years to come, to delay her. And as our love deepens and, and we spend more years together, our relationship will change. So will the things that surprise and delight us. God knows that you're changing as well. And throughout your life, different things will surprise and delight you, but God still wants to pursue that. relationship with you. And while the Eucharist may seem like a strange vehicle for surprises, it's exactly what Jesus used at Emmaus. And it's the most consistent way that he continues to be with us today. So I invite you to come to the altar with an open heart, to be present, to be curious, to be receptive, and be surprised by scripture. Be surprised by the words of a song that we sing. Be surprised by the simple act of obedience and showing up. Be surprised by the depth and the breadth of his love expressed in simple bread and wine. Be surprised by the God who loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you still want to surprise us that in our humanity that we bring each week you come for this divine appointment. And so like you did for us on the road to Emmaus, help us um, to be there to show up so that you can surprise us again with your love. Give us strength for this week in the Eucharist that we receive. We pray this in your name, amen. Thanks for watching. Be sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples by sharing this video. We're grateful that you're part of this community.